would be surprised if he doesn't shoot up a building or, or, or his job or his something because he was that nuts. I was wondering who has a more distorted view of the world? Someone who lives a normal life, has a family and checks in with Yahoo News every once in a while and just sees what's new and what Kim Kardashian is doing, or these hyper-informed people who just live inside of Twitter and that's all they do. They just soak up every bit of news they're on, every single uh, viral moment. They know more, but they're so hyper-stimulated, they don't have any insight into the thing that's poking them all the time. You, you need a little distance from events, you know, and this is uh, in a way how I structure the podcast. This isn't a news podcast. If you're waiting for me to give you the news, you're screwed. Actually, you're not screwed because I like to let things fester. What I'll do is a lot of different thoughts start to pile up in clusters. And then I look at the cluster and try to derive insights from what's in there rather than trying to react to every little thing. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's insightful. I don't think it's smart to be that on top of news. But it is important to separate the, the wheat from the chaff because there's just so much noise. You're never going to be able to isolate what that signal is. And, and hopefully that's something I'm doing for people, which is extracting these insights. So I am your sacrificial lamb. And really, there is no greater sacrifice. I mean, the least you could do is sign up to patreon.com forward slash McFuture and support this show and all that I do for you. I do nothing but bleed for you. Or, or tweet for you, but it's close. I mean, bleeding, tweeting, they share a lot of the same letters. Let's talk about Twitter as if it didn't already dominate almost everything in our society. It's funny. It's a very niche network. Not a lot of people are on it from the United States relative to Facebook or even Instagram, but it has such a cultural impact because, you know, Instagram there's a lot of booty shots, a lot of things that are just trite and stupid, people showing off their yachts and fake lifestyles and family photos with people you'll never meet. It's inconsequential. But Twitter has attracted certain types, and I'll get into that in a second, that do move the needle in society. So whether you're on it or not, you're kind of forced to at least know about it. And I'm going to talk about what it takes to survive Twitter today. I think some of this would apply to Facebook and maybe even uh, Instagram, but let's get into it. I wrote an article a while back. This is probably 2012 uh, called the 10 types of Twitterers and how to tame their tweets. I have a way with words. It actually was a pretty popular Forbes piece. I ended up on a couple of radio shows. I, I remember I was interviewed for ABC in Australia, which is their big network, to discuss this. And it was just so weird because I, I could barely understand <laughs> the guy who was interviewing me because he was on the phone and it was, it was just very odd. And I'm like, why is Australia so interested in Twitter? But I think 
people in media immediately gravitated towards that platform. So it gets amplification no matter what happens. Even something stupid, which is 98% of what happens there, it'll get amplified. The premise of this article was who resides there and that it's a very unrepresentative sample. I wrote something like, if you're going to try to extract insights from Twitter, your business is going out of business. I remember at the time, all of these companies were launching these listening platforms. The idea was that they would extract all of this insight from what the world is thinking about your product. What are the big trends that are happening? It was called semantic analysis. I haven't heard that term in a while. I, I think it still exists in pockets, but it's very hard to do effectively. It's very hard to detect tone or sarcasm. What they think is positive sentiment might not be. Uh, so there's a lot of false flags. Even if you're looking at the actual tweets, who are these people? <laughs> are they representative of the rest of society? Because the rest of society is on Yahoo News. You want a representative sample. Why don't you go talk to the people that are clicking on Yahoo? There were e-liberties. So there's celebrities, but not really, because once you take away Twitter, they're worthless. That's really the defining line between a celebrity and an e-liberty, because an e-liberty is tied to their platform. So if the platform goes away, so does their entire user base and following. No one's going to seek them out if they're off of, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever else. Like, I have this theory that if you were to kill, <laughs> I'm not advocating this, if you were to kill every single Instagram influencers, like all those, you know, hot chicks and guys who are posting you know, their fancy, luxurious lives. And you replace them tomorrow with nearly identical people doing nearly identical things and just swap them out in people's feeds. No one would notice. People would continue, you know, liking and scrolling through. That's how little they care about these people. They're completely disposable. And I had a situation where I, I don't know how much I want to reveal here, but uh, just because I don't want to hurt the person's feelings. But it, let's put it this way. It proved to me how worthless Instagram followers are. If I had to do a, an exchange rate, I would say that one YouTube follower, someone who will sit there and watch videos for minutes or hours, one of those people is probably worth 10,000 Instagram followers, if not more. I, I would guess that in terms of people who are willing to contribute to your Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McFuture, or people who are willing to show up to a live event, or people who are willing to buy a product, I bet you it's pretty close to that. YouTube people are way, way more valuable. Twitter, somewhere in between, probably a little bit closer to Instagram, but just because people tweet a lot about, you know, substantive things, or at least, you know, some pockets do, uh, maybe that builds a little bit more of a connection. Facebook, I don't know. I feel like Facebook's just a bunch of old people complaining. And then there's stars, right? So people who are cross-platform celebrities. A lot of them are smart enough not to have Twitter accounts anymore. I remember I met uh, Mila Kunis, a lovely person. I had a great conversation with her. I met her at, a, at an event. And 
And I asked her what social media she's on. She's not on any social networks. That's how you know you're a celebrity. When you, you leave it up to other people to talk about you. And there are fewer and fewer traditional celebrities. We're witnessing the last batch. The only ones that are really crossing over to the general population are like Avengers. People who are in the biggest movies, smaller movie stars are, are done. They have no name recognition. There's so many actresses named Emma and I could not pick them out of a lineup. I don't know, Emma Stone from Emma. Is there another? <laughs> I probably should have used another name. I can't name any of the Emmas, they are all the same. This old generation of celebrities, they still have that fame, but they're aging out. Like George Clooney's not gonna be an action star for much longer. I don't even know if he is anymore. Or Tom Cruise, how many geriatric criminals are there that they could actually chase down? And how many special effects are you prepared to use? You have these household names like De Niro and Tom Hanks and Emma something. There's gonna be fewer and fewer universal stars because of all this fragmentation of media, fragmentation of attention, and interest. And you also sometimes stumble across somebody who's got like 30 million followers on uh, YouTube or some other platform that you've never in your life heard of. Uh, last time that I remember that happened to me was PewDiePie. I'm not in the gaming world. I have no interest in watching someone play games online. And there's this guy who was the most successful YouTuber for a while. I don't know. He still might be. All he did was stream games and now he's gotten into comedy. I tried to watch some of his comedy. <laughs> don't watch his comedy. Nordic people are not known for their stand-up material. Leave it to us. The Jewish people, the black people, we are the ones who are here to entertain you comedically. Anyway, the stars are smaller, but there's a bigger constellation. So beautiful. And uh, there's a very nice woman that I follow. Her name is Helen Pluckrose. She was the partner or collaborator of a guy I had on the show, uh, James Lindsay, and they had another guy, Peter Bogosian. They're the ones who wrote all of those fake studies and got them into all these social science journals, basically proving the journals are BS. One of the studies took a chapter from Hitler's Mein Kampf and rewrote it as, I think it was feminist literature, and it got accepted into, <laughs> into publication. I talked to James about it. You can look up my old episode with James Lindsay. So Helen was part of that trifecta. I stopped following her because I started to feel bad for her. She is such a nice person, but she takes all this stuff to heart. Like she really genuinely believes that through nuance and insight and a dialogue that she can get through to a bunch of trolls. It's so nice to have someone that optimistic and yet completely defeated at all times because Twitter never fails to disappoint with its negativity. So I just started to feel bad for her and I, I stopped following her, but she posted, Twitter continues to be a sewer. I'm afraid I'm just going to have to leave you all to go on about the evilness of the version of me you have created. Anyone who wants to know what I actually think can look at anything I have actually said or written. And that's the reality of Twitter. People will take the worst of you or their construct of you and then oppose that instead of words you've said. So and whenever someone does that, you just block them because what are you going to do? You're going to engage with a fool. I, I wrote, on Twitter, your enemies are many and they're disingenuous, 
self-hating, vicious, vindictive bullies. If you are someone who even positions yourself as an enemy of someone else, think about that, an enemy. Like, I'm I'm going to oppose this person. I'm going to, anything they write, I'm going to write something against them or, or troll them. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's a commentary on your horrible life more so than is on the other person. A lot of times you're anonymous trolls or they're failed, miserable nobodies or they're verified psychos. So some of these people are are just psychotic. There's this one guy who's a lawyer who made his whole life tweeting conspiracy theories about Trump. And I'm like, why would you dedicate your life to this? And, and it is intoxicating. I get it because that kind of response tickles their pleasure centers. So they're literally being pleasured at all times. Twitter becomes just a a, a giant ejaculation for them. And they're psychotic. They've basically sold their souls for likes. If you are someone like Helen and you're trying to make sense and you have some following and you're getting some action on your posts, what are your choices? The first is obvious. You get off Twitter, too negative, too destructive. You don't need these people. A second option is if you absolutely need it for money or you promote a product or you have a digital product, you need to get your word out. You need to have multiple income streams or wealth to sustain you. Things that cannot be interrupted by what you do on Twitter. Real estate is a perfect example or investments or some sort of coding or back office work that no one's really going to chase after you for. I mean, they could try to get you fired if you're like a coder and says some uh, crazy stuff or having a local business. Yeah, I guess someone could show up to, you know, your diner in Peoria. There are just certain types of businesses that are more resistant to this type of behavior than others. It's possible to secure yourself in a way where No matter what happens on there, you can't really be canceled. The third option is to join a gang. There's a safety in numbers. And gangs are all those sub-Twitters that I talked about, the politics people, the crypto, Bitcoin. So if you join a gang, your gang will probably defend you against some other gang. And some of these groups or interests, they naturally repel trolls. Like if you're so for Bitcoin, is someone who's anti-Bitcoin going to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, trolling you or attacking you? Probably not. Same thing with investing, same thing with, I don't know, startups, maybe a little bit more, but the political ones for sure, that you need a gang. If you're on your own, you're going to be attacked by everybody, the left, the right, all these maniacs. The downside of joining a gang is you're not allowed to cross them because people have become so fanatical in their beliefs that you have to buy the entire package. You can't cherry pick. You're getting the multi-pack and you better stick with the full kit because the minute you diverge from that narrative, your own people will stab you. (laughs) You will be killed by your own gang. Yes, They will be your defenders, but they will also likely be your executioners. The fourth option is something I call Kardashianism. Uh, It's not really a religion, but the Kardashians have such a clear goal. Now, you might call that goal stupid uh, because their goal is fame and sustaining fame, but they're so 
focused on it and they're so hardworking, whether you respect the work or not, they're up there doing the photo shoots, taking the selfies, posting all the stuff, photoshopping, they're, they're doing all the important work. And the thing that makes Kardashianism what it is, is a thick skin, this ability to ignore haters and just keep plowing through with whatever it is that you want to do and not caring at all. It's almost inhuman. It's almost like they have some sort of genetic evolutionary trait, like they're here from the future. And in the future, you are completely insensitive to criticism or people attacking you because the amount of hate they attract and the amount of BS that they have to tolerate is insane. It helps to be able to live in a mansion in the hills somewhere, but you're, you're still being invaded by, you know, cameras and, and people attacking you in public. It's not great. Most people are not built this way. I almost think that Kardashianism requires a certain type of genetics and a lot of people can't take it. They will crack. They will crack under that kind of pressure. I think they did a survey where they asked kids what they want to be and the number one thing was famous. You think you want it. The, the right way to do fame is to develop some sort of amazing expertise at something. And then if the fame comes, it's for that expertise. So the people who like you also respect you. But fame for its own sake is devoid of respect. When you have no respect, you're just a target for your haters. Yeah, you'll, you'll have your fans, but you're also going to have a lot of haters. The fifth option is siphoning. Basically promoting a way to get off these platforms, uh, promoting your newsletter, for example. So you get that person's email address and you're able to communicate with them directly instead of relying on these toxic social networks. There's a lot of ways to do it now. Substack is a good way. They do newsletters. Patreon. There's a new one called Locals. By the way, patreon.com forward slash McFuture. That's my plan to escape as well. So go ahead and subscribe. But Locals is, is a new one, just any email subscription service, really. So that direct connectivity with the fans is great. And let them do the sharing on your behalf. Let them take the bullets. You don't have to take the bullets. Let, let them do it. Uh, and you reap the benefits. So make something that's good enough that other people are talking about it. And hopefully I'm there or getting there. Number six upscale and professionalize your content and move over to LinkedIn, Pinterest, or Instagram, which natively support commerce in some way, shape, or form. Like they let people buy or they let people respond to you and, you know, professionals respond to you. They're much closer to monetizing your work and your content. You'll earn more money and you're also going to reduce the toxicity because now you're no longer reliant on Twitter. Yeah, those other networks could be a little stilted, but you just have to think about repositioning your ideas. And it's similar to what I talked about with Tim Dillon, who looked at Clubhouse and said, hey, what can I do with this? So he decided to have these insane satirical themes inside of these rooms and all the participants were in on the joke and they played along. So he actually took this new platform and developed a way to use it that's consistent with who he is. So he didn't have to change himself in order to be adaptable to this new world. A lot of people could do that if they just applied themselves. 
And number seven, maybe face it. You love the danger. That's why you stay. These monsters are the only thing that makes you feel alive. It's your version of bungee jumping or extreme sports or jackass. <laughs> you don't have to dive off a cliff. This is your cliff. They're kind of an antidote to a slow suburban death, which is something I can tell you about. It turns out they're not your enemies. They're what gives your life purpose or a reasonable approximation. And if you back up a little bit, I don't think people this different were ever meant to coexist in the same space. I think that's where a lot of the problems are coming from. Whether it's physical or virtual, I, you're not meant to hear every conversation. You're not meant to be part of every exchange with every celebrity, with every person. No one is meant to be that connected. We are doing something deeply unnatural to our biology and to our sociology. I think we're probably about 100,000 years away from being ready for social media or from extinction, whichever comes first. And also, truly honest thoughts, if that's what you're putting out or others are putting out, they're not meant for mass consumption. Honesty is painful. The truth hurts. It's full of judgment and retribution especially if it's stripped of context. So conflict is inevitable. And then you have online groups on Facebook or just these clusters on Twitter or other networks. They share some sort of common goal or common interest or maybe just um, an understanding of the world or an issue that they think needs to be addressed. That creates common ground for truth or validation of each other's worst ideas. When you get together with a bunch of people who believe the same thing, that repetition and that reinforcement looks a whole lot like truth. And a lot of crazy people have been able to find each other, whether it's flat earthers or QAnon or, or, or all of these other theories They've been able to, to find each other. And now they can validate each other in a way that makes their craziness some weird form of reality. And sometimes those terrible ideas and those terrible impulses spill over into the real world. That's the danger of clustering people with fringe ideas. So I, I get that. I don't know that stopping it is the right move. Sometimes I question my own thinking because I, I have very strong opinions loosely held. And my thinking evolves on these things. I think you might, in the short run, have a safer world. But because there are so many other platforms and ways to communicate, they will find a way. And that way will be much harder to see. And when it does bubble up in the real world, it's going to be way more dangerous. So I think keeping it on the surface is probably better. At least we can monitor it. So I'm saying something kind of contradictory. On one hand, 
big tents are bad because all of these people are not meant to interact and hear each other's thoughts. On the other hand, I'm saying small tents are bad <laughs> or teepees in this case are bad because they create clusters of validation that could be dangerous. Not always, but could be. So then what? I think there are three ingredients for successful online communities. They're still not perfect, but it allows this unnatural environment to at least somewhat replicate what it's like to be a real person in the real world. So the first is common interest. Common goals, you know, uh, is good too, unless those goals are, are illegal or insane. Until they are illegal, you kind of have to let them be. So common interest is one. Second is vouching. And vouching is when members invite members. So you create accountability and personal stakes are high because if someone does poorly or does something insane, that reflects badly on you. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I once made the horrific, awful <laughs> mistake of uh, starting a Facebook group. This was probably five years ago, I'd have to say, maybe more. Uh, it was before the Trump presidency or leading up to it. Anyway, it was probably like, yeah, 2014. It was called Constructive Politics. It was a good group. There were, you know, some diverse opinions and only members can invite other members in. And one of my friends, a good friend, invited this guy he actually invited two crazy guys. One was like just crazy conservative, but within the range of normal. This other guy he invited, oh my God. I, I saved the text because I, I knew at some point I would need to give it to the police or, or my surviving family would have to give it to the police. This guy was nuts. He was so nuts. I would not be surprised. And okay, I would be surprised if he doesn't shoot up a building or, or, or his job or his something, it would shock me if he doesn't because he was that nuts. And so at some point I wrote him the, cause he was destroying the group. I mean, but essentially he, he was like a virus that, that would destroy everything. He was so insane. I, I wish I had examples, but he would write these long diatribes that were, you know, QAnon ish before QAnon. And I wrote this guy a really nice note, as nice as I could be. I said, listen, I really respect that you are a contributor to this group and that you're so engaged, but the engagement is not constructive right now. And the name of the group is Constructive Politics. I, uh, I said, listen, you know, I, I wish you the best. You're a good guy, but it's just not a great fit for this group. I, 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 I probably even padded it even more than that. I don't remember exactly what I said. He wrote me probably anywhere between four to six messages, all of them long screeds. He was calling me a piece of garbage, you know, an F word, like, I don't know, all kinds of like just insulting, horrific things. And then he went schizophrenic. He's like, oh, but, but if you let me back, I don't think he promised to be better, but he's like, you need to let me back. And let's put it this way. If I lived in the same state that he did, I would consider staying with friends just to <laughs> wait till it blows over. 
was like a dumb Breaking Bad moment. At least in Breaking Bad, you're making money selling drugs. At least you're making money if you're taking these kinds of risks. This guy would off you because he was banned from a, uh, from a social media group. So nuts. I think a lot less of my friend as a result. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I've forgiven him, but I still give him shit every once in a while. I'm like, what? How are you friends with these mutants? What is going on? Like, are they completely different in real life? I can't imagine. I can't imagine sitting in real life with this guy and not noticing something was off. When someone is off, they have this, I call it crazy eye. It's very common on the housewives shows the housewives not orange county new york there's this one who has like this shifty crazy eye like you could tell something crazy is going through her head because the blinking and the, the eye motion there might not be a lot of wires that are loose but there's at least one wire that's coming loose i would imagine if you're sitting across from this person you'd go hmm we need an electrician anyway uh, the third characteristic <laughs> <laughs> that was a long way to get there. Uh, the third ingredient for an effective social community is self-policing. Instead of this Orwellian authority saying what you can and can't do, it's these members who have vouched for people keeping people in check. Just like I kept this other guy out. It was too late to save the group. <laughs> the group disintegrated by then because it just became so toxic. And for the best, we were losing a lot of time posting for nothing. And members should police members. And I think um, to some extent, Reddit probably is a best practice or any forum where you have these admins. Admins could also get drunk with power. So you almost have to admins the admin. It's the next controversy. But there needs to be a way for people to keep other people in check rather than feeling like this Orwellian organization is there. And I think maybe if I had to come up with a fourth, uh, some sort of recourse, if something does go wrong, that there's a, an adjudication process where maybe there's like a jury where people decide whether to let people back in or, you know, what went down. So, you know, a trial. <laughs> I can only imagine social media trials. Could they give you the death penalty? Yeah. Like what? If, <laughs> I'm thinking out loud now. This wasn't part of it, but um, I, I'm thinking, could it be that it's a good idea to have these trials online. So instead of banning Alex Jones, you put him on Twitter trial. <laughs> And uh, there's like an electric chair, but it's maybe not like a real electric chair. Maybe just like a, you know, like an electric shock chair. I'll, I'll think through this more and get back to you. And at some point I wrote a suggestion for infinitely improving your feed. I unfollowed all media companies, corporate accounts, and individuals who post like bots. And my feed is finally manageable and insightful. I have not been radicalized at all. I have joined several groups, the Bungalow Boys, Mantifa, the Plowed Boys. Honestly, the Plowed Boys is not exactly what I expected. You can always join me on Lonely Fans, where I share great tips on how to manage social media and a few tasteful nudes. I think all of this media focus demands a new profession. The mediatrician would treat all media and social media related ailments. Everything from being addicted and tweeting all day 
or believing in all these insane conspiracy theories like QAnon or that, I don't know, that people on CNN and Fox News actually care about you. Uh, there's so many things that uh, need to be treated and that really is going to be the big addiction for the future. We are going to need to be extracted from the virtual world if we're going to lead healthy lives. And right now, everyone is incentivized to just keep us there. So we're going to need teams of mediatricians to swoop down and pull people away from their screens, maybe even break their fingers so they can't use social media. Like maybe the mediatrician isn't a medical professional. Maybe the medical professional is who you see after the mediatrician shows up and breaks your fingers. <laughs> Ah, uh, so much fun. Someone came up with a service, which I, I think it's so awesome. It's called Megablock. The premise is whenever someone does a bad tweet, what the service will let you do if you connect your Twitter account to it is it will block the author and every single person who liked that tweet. What kind of rage do you have that someone tweeted something so bad that you need to nuke everyone associated with that tweet? It's sort of like a Thanos for Twitter. It's like this little controlled apocalypse for the stupidest of worlds. At least Thanos is trying to destroy planets. <laughs> what are you destroying? I do think if you're going to do blocking, blocking should be on a spectrum of punishments and it should range, right? So I think the first punishment should be more time on Twitter. Uh, a second punishment should be Alyssa Milano's scorn and all the way up to calling in a drone strike. That gives you a nice range, right? A cornucopia of punishment. The tool that I want to see is one that combs through your Twitter history and then calculates all of the jobs and clients and friends uh, and income that you've either lost or will lose in the future based on your tweets. There's so many people who've been so worked up and so angry that uh, it's just a matter of time before we can actually mathematically calculate the damage to your life and probably other networks too. Twitter is a weird beast. I think it just exists to eventually get you fired. And why do they call it a feed? I don't feel full after consuming it. And if social media did disappear, what would you do without a network of loose acquaintances that you'll never see again in real life and whose opinions you completely disdain? What would you do? It would devastate you. Devastating. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Really appreciate you sharing this, reviewing it on iTunes, commenting on YouTube, and especially signing up on patreon.com forward slash McFuture if you can. There was an article in EV Magazine. I, I don't know what EV Magazine is, but it looked very legit, very legit. It said, Instagram pros prostitution, the dark secret of jet-setting influencers. I don't spend much time on Instagram. In fact, the only time I go on there is sometimes I post uh, short video clips, uh, highlights from these episodes. And 
I'll see all these hot chicks on vacations or these, you know, douchey guys getting on private jets. And I'm like, what is going on here? So it turns out that a lot of the women, you know, seem conspicuously alone in all of these luxurious settings. I mean, yachts and private islands. Well, it turns out they're prostitutes. A lot of these women who have, you know, one, two, three, four million followers, they're not sitting there relying on brand deals. They're relying on man deals. And they describe the mechanics of how this works. Uh, part of the deal is they get flown out. They are in private jets and taking pictures all through the, the process. They land on these islands. They do all this stuff. The one thing you never see is what's on the other side of the camera. And that's the John who's paying her. It's pretty crazy. I don't know. Maybe does that happen with guys? I'm sure that happens too. This is a, an interesting article. You should uh, Google it. Instagram prostitution. It's a thing. I did read that uh, a few of these women, not necessarily from Instagram, were trying to escape Saudi Arabia because they apparently fly them in and sometimes don't fly them out. You know, there's so many challenges you have as a billionaire chic. And someday I would like to have these problems and be able to stay in a sheet all day. I mean, talk about the perks, man.